Alex, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, I actually had about eight or nine people the last three weeks that have sent me your page. Oh, really? Asking, because I always ask people to, the whole thing with the podcast, I like to get a variety of guests on that do totally different things. And I always get people who will be like, oh, check this person out, check that person out. And when I watch your videos, I'm like, I'm so bad at DIY. <laughs> See when I watch them. Um, so bad to the point I don't even try now, which is terrible. Um, but yeah, I thought I need to get her on and maybe get some pearls of wisdom from <laughs> on how to actually do it. Um, but first of all, I wanted to ask you, I know you're obviously an engineer, that's your main job. Why that industry? What made you want to be a, an engineer? Um, I kind of fell into engineering, to totally be honest. When I was at school, I think it's really hard to know what you want to do yeah. uh, that young. And I actually thought I wanted to be a dentist um, first right. and foremost. And I went on work experience and two days of work experience was enough to, to put me off wanting to be a dentist. What, um, what was the What changed it for you? What put you off doing it? I watched a root canal treatment and uh, that was enough to put me off, which is funny because I've actually got two really good friends that are dentists and they love it. But it wasn't for me. And at the time, my dad's golfing partner, uh, both of his sons, did the engineering. And my dad was like, what about this? And I also had a really good friend who was a year ahead of me doing it. And it sounded like even if you do this, when you get to the end, there's still loads of options. So it didn't feel like I was kind of pigeonholing mm-hmm. early on, which which was really good about it. And that's that's kind of come out to be right. There's there's loads of opportunities within it. Mm-hmm. And what area did you then move into once you'd done like your, your studying and your training, et cetera? What did you then choose to do? Yeah, so I moved into the energy industry. I, I very fir- first and foremost worked in, in oil and gas, um, kind of fell into that as well, but really, really enjoyed it. Did a a job in in operations right at the kind of cool front of of what we were doing Mm -hmm. and then more recently I've moved into renewables so made that switch to looking now at kind of solar panels and and battery storage for for commercial sites so yeah super interesting space to be in. Yeah I was going to say probably very topical at the moment as well (laughs) the world is. Um, Do you enjoy it? Do you like the, the job? Yeah. I do, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think uh, often people say to me that now this whole Instagram thing is, is taken off. Oh, would you not just pack it all in? But I actually really enjoy my day job. And there's an element of, I feel like I worked really hard to, to get to where I am. And yeah. there's an element of wanting to keep that going, you know, maybe not always full time, but I, de- I definitely want to keep it up. Have you ever had the temptation just to move to the social side of things and kind of go that way? I, I suppose it's it's a big gamble for people as well when you look at that side of things. It is, and I think um, it's trial and error a lot of this, you know, like it's a totally new world to navigate and it's quite tricky to find out the best way to sustainably make an income from it. Some people are really helpful and really open to tell you their, their mm-hmm. tips and tricks and other people aren't. And I think the biggest thing for me would be that it can sometimes just be really cyclical. Um, you know, sometimes you've got really busy months and other times you don't. And I like that because it means when I've got other stuff going on in my life I can pick and choose whereas if it was your sole income you'd be much more more reliant on on regular business so and I have trialed as well for a while I did kind of interior design virtually for other people but then I find myself going to bed at night worrying about their tile selection and their paint colors and I was like this was meant to be enjoyable it wasn't meant to you know add stress so I kind of reverted from doing that it's just do it for friends and family now <laughs> and the, obviously from Castle Lawson then what what prompted you to do that because it's it's obviously it's not like just putting up a social page and 
doing some vlogs and things. You're, you're full on went into a world of, of DIY and, and tutorials. So what, what prompted you to try it? Yeah, so growing up, my dad would have never paid somebody to do something that he could do himself, whether that worked out or didn't. You know, there was often maybe Easter holidays where the plumbing went wrong and I'd be a sidekick trying to fix it. But I'd grown up in that world where Mm -hmm. my dad's friends were like the technical teachers at school and they were always doing something around the house. And so not long before I moved into my house, I, I sadly lost my dad, but I had all of his tools and... When I moved in, I thought, I'm just going to give this a go. And everybody told me, move into a new build. You don't need to do anything. But I sat for about six months in this magnolia walled new build. And then I thought, it's time to get going. This doesn't feel homely. And COVID had just hit. So we had all this time at home. And I started it just more of a diary. It was never, I never thought in a million years it would turn into what it's turned into. And I think I got so much from other people's pages of learning how to do things and it's a bit of a community and you know for inspiration and ideas how often do we lose hours just like scrolling at things that we're interested in so it was just to kind of inspire and encourage other people and then it just has kind of boomed and and grown from there. Was there a was there a point for you where you realised it was becoming like a, a big thing. I think everybody that's that's got kind of social activity, there's always a kind of moment where you're like, well, this is this is quite big now. Yeah, so at the time when I started my page, this is so lame, but at the time you had to have 10,000 followers to get swipe up. Right, so okay. I remember when I started to realise that my account was growing, the goal was always like just to get 10,000 followers because mm-hmm. I could get the swipe up action, which actually anybody can put a link on their stories now. But that was always the initial like goal. Yeah. And then um, I got there in probably about the middle of the year last year. So I got there in about July uh, 2021 and I stayed there around about 11,000, 12,000 right until the end of the year. And in January, I wrote this list of like things that I wanted to do for the year. And at the time over the Christmas period, this video of a before and after of my garden is about six seconds long, basically went viral on TikTok initially. And I thought, oh, I'll just post this on Instagram too. And very quickly that video and another one went got loads and loads of views went viral and my account just boomed and in the space of about six weeks I gained something like 170,000 followers and at that point it was like you then can't keep up with the emails you can't keep up with the direct messages and of course it isn't like that all the time that was like a really big boom at the start of the year but once that came so did a lot of activity from brands and other people and I thought oh I could actually you know really try and make a go of this mm-hmm. and I tried to juggle it alongside my day job for about two months with that much higher income of traffic and then I decided to sign with an agency because I knew I was going to keep my day job and I knew I didn't have time to keep on top of it all and often mm-hmm. these brands will mass reach out to people and if you're slow to reply you miss the boat you need to yeah. be really on it with the opportunities so People have got really mixed reviews about um, being with an agency because they mm-hmm. think, oh, well, they then take a cut of what you earn. But actually, I still earn a lot more than ever would because I get loads more opportunities yeah. that I would never have had yeah. if I hadn't gone gone with an agency. But yeah, that that before and after of my garden was, was definitely the turning point. That must have been so surreal as well because you're going from, as you say, you're, you're building that community to, and I had a look this morning and you're like over a quarter of a million across like socials does that blow your mind just when you think back to how it started yeah and I think as well so the the video that really kick-started my page that in the end had like 16 million views and I remember just it's like crazy when you think about it and so many 
once everybody had kind of picked up like immediate friends whilst it was going viral I mean you used to like refresh my page by the hour and the numbers were just like jumping and jumping <laughs> on these couple of days and people were messaging me like what's going on your numbers have gone crazy but it also comes with this side of social media that you know sometimes isn't very nice and actually you discover all of a sudden that you've let lots of people into your life to comment on on whatever you do um which doesn't bother me at all. I've got really thick skin and I just laugh it off. But you can totally see how people that maybe don't or people that are quite vulnerable, you know, very quickly it can get out of hand with what people just think they're entitled to say about you on the internet. So there's yeah. there's a good and bad side to it. And that's what I was going to ask you, obviously. And just as you said that there, I found out recently as well that you, you can't really control what people comment when you put yourself into that situation when you're out there. But... I think I'm not at the stage yet where I'm fully okay with it. I think sometimes it just kind of jabs at you a little bit when you, you see something. But have you always just kind of blanked over it or has it took you to a point to get to that that stage? I mean, there's good days and bad days with it. Don't get me wrong. I think um, there's a few things that contribute to, you know, sometimes you can spend hours as well putting content together and then for whatever reason, the social media algorithm decides just not going to show it to anybody no. or maybe it will show it to loads of people. And if you then don't get like positive feedback on that, it can sometimes be quite flattening. But very recently, I ventured into the Facebook world of social media, which I haven't really done much with before, but decided I would start and try and build my page on there. And on there and TikTok is this whole world of like 50 plus year old men who just like to tell me that I'm doing things wrong or that's not how you do it. Or And what is hilarious is that other random strangers then start to stick up for me. So it's been really funny because this week there is somebody basically said like that shelf could fall off the wall and kill my cat was what they'd like written as their random comment. And then this other person's commented like my cat has better manners than you do. And I'm like, this is hilarious. I don't know who any of these people are. And they're all just like arguing over this video. But I think um, as time goes on, you get more comfortable with it. And I think you just have to really detach yourself from from what mm -hmm. those people think because for every negative comment or you know there's maybe like 100 or 150 positive ones and you just have to focus on those yeah and you know that was when i had put out yesterday for any questions a few people male and female to be honest had asked about what you just said there like is there a do you feel there's a kind of stigma with females in this environment of doing DIY and things like that? And how how have you found that kind of process from your point of view? Because you are you are popular, your your accounts are popular for what you're doing, but there is that element or that demographic that's like, well, I don't know if our women should be doing that. Do you know what I mean? How yeah, do you yeah. find that side of it? And I've had um I've had both ends of it. So on TikTok, I once had somebody basically comment saying, like, you should be making the tea, you shouldn't have power tools. And I actually, you know, I work in a really male-dominated industry yeah. and I have done since I since I went to uni. So I actually think that has really helped me just not bother about that yeah. because I've always been kind of trying to pave the way for young girls in engineering mm -hmm. and technology subjects. So that that side of it doesn't really bother me. But I remember when I was doing my fence in my first house and I lived there on my own and I got must be like 500 roof battens delivered for this fence and it specifically said on the invoice you know there must be somebody there to help the guy unload the wood so the guy turns up and he's like yeah I've got your delivery who's here to help me unload and I was like well it's my delivery I'm the only person here and you could tell he was like so you've ordered all of this <laughs> like yeah and I'm the only one here so I guess we better start offloading or we'll be here twice as long but 
you know, some people are really open to it and really supportive of it and others just can't get on board, but you've just got to detach from them, you know, it just, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. Um, and obviously the the engineering side, and we, we spoke about it a wee bit before we started, but how do you find the combination of doing both? Because obviously you can be taking up so much time on social media as well with people DMing you and, and various kind of different things, but how do you manage that workload? Um, so to be honest, I still am kind of learning how to manage it. So I try and I use my lunch breaks quite uh, craftily, I suppose, um, when I'm doing still doing my day job. But in terms of just managing that social media side, what I started trying to do is make a lot of my content in one go. So I will, you know, have one evening to like edit all of my videos or plan what I'm going to do for the week, which is much easier than trying to then every day be like, oh, I need to spend an hour or 45 minutes trying to edit this video and I've recently found that that works um, a lot better but more and more with things like Instagram we're finding that unless you spend a lot of time on that app they won't push your content to as many people um, and I actually think when I lived on my own you're maybe not as mindful of how much time you spend on your phone but yeah. you know me and my other half have recently moved in together and I'm now really conscious that sometimes I'm sat on the sofa on my phone for a really long time because I'm yeah. trying to like edit videos or and it's just like a whole adjustment, but I find given allocated time to it now and treating it much more like a job rather than a hobby or a pastime really helps kind of stay in check with it. Because if you can't be consistent on social media, that really starts to hinder your numbers. Everybody that you speak to, it's like consistency. If you disappear and then come back, it's much harder to keep your, your audience mm-hmm. engaged and, and interacting with your content. And do you find that easy enough to come up with your content because it's as you say you don't want to you read so many things about the algorithms and what you should do and what you shouldn't do you should go on it every day do you find it difficult to keep that consistency and coming up with different things all the time or do you just have a kind of set routine and you stick to that no I definitely do and I find that a lot of this stuff's trial and error right because people will really enjoy a certain type of content and then it's almost like clothing trends the trend changes and then all of a sudden you find that the videos that you've done for so long maybe aren't doing as well anymore then you have to start to trial and error a new type of content and I find as well that for example on TikTok people just really want to know about the before and after they're not always necessarily interested in how to do it particularly if it's a video that is maybe like a minute long Whereas on Instagram and Facebook, I find people are much more interested in that step by step. So it's not even just the videos that you're taking. It's like, how do you put them together for each platform? And do you just do it with funny music or do you add a voiceover? Those types of things. So a lot of it's trial and error, I think, and that'll always be the way whilst whilst things keep changing. Yeah, I struggle with it massively. Just for the, you sit and think, well, I'll just put something out so that I'm putting something out. And it's it's hard And I also find as well that, you know, sometimes the things that I spend hours putting together don't do really well. And the things that take me 15 minutes to put together are the things that do really well. And then I think, oh, maybe you just shouldn't think about it so much. And, you know, before my account ever boomed, I never would have considered any of this stuff because I just didn't really know what I was doing. I just shared whatever and, and it worked. So then it's almost like once you start to overthink it, it gets a wee bit trickier. But yeah, I totally empathize. I feel that it's kind of tricky to keep up with it all. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And when you when you got to that stage where you've then got brands etc. want to work with you, how do you then deal with that? Because obviously you've got 
you may have a number of people that that want you to to collab and do certain things, but how do you work out who you want to do things with and who you don't? What's your kind of process for that? Yeah, so I've always um, said that I was never just going to do stuff just for the money. It yeah. had to be something that was either I already used or I really believed in the product or you know, it was something that I thought my followers and my audience would be interested in. So I do actually, you know, I take pride in saying that I say no to some things if they just aren't aligned with with my brand or what's on my page. But sometimes it's, it's tricky as well when you first start, because before I joined an agency, I had no idea what to charge mm-hmm. either. And you kind of go online and you read about different calculators and is that too much or is that too little? And then you'd reply to the brand and sometimes they'd eat your hand off. And I always think it's like Gumtree. You think, oh, I should put it on for more. You know, that went too quickly. It's, it's a whole learning curve about how to do it all. But I do think that I've always tried to, as I say, stick with brands that I, I really believed in. But I mean, there's some real pinch me moments of that things like being able to work with Pegasi Lighting or mm-hmm. B&Q, which sounds silly but when it's somewhere that you go all the time and all of a sudden this really big brand value your your content and your engagement it's a really a really rewarding moment Mm -hmm. and you were on you got to do grand designs as well like the the roadshow that must have been so surreal to get a chance like that it was yeah it was really fascinating actually and I was really nervous about whether anybody would even be like interested in standing to listen to what I've got to say and I think, you know, once I was up there, it was so easy because I know all this stuff inside out. It wasn't like something at work where I need to memorize all of the facts and things because all of this just comes so naturally because I did the painting and I did the, the workshops. And to have so many people, you know, commend and comment on the talk and how much they enjoyed it was a real a real boost me moment of, of realizing what a difference you're making to people. And I think that's one of my favorite things about having created this community and this platform because I so often get messages from like maybe the you know the struggling single mum who wouldn't be able to pay somebody to come in to do their stuff and she sends me photos of I've done this from a little girl's room and it's just amazing to know that you've helped them in a tiny way in their house do something that's making their home you know feel that bit more special to them. Definitely and you know I had I had so many messages from people who were saying they maybe are living on their own or they're struggling for money and they were asking around, obviously, if you're moving into a house or a flat or whatever, what were, what do you find are the kind of easy wins for people to try and save a bit of money at the beginning of that journey? Because obviously you, you've done it yourself, moved into a home and it's, it can seem so daunting for people with the expenses that, that are potentially there. And I think as well, right, You, I mean, let's all be honest, we all like, bust ourselves just to buy the house or the flat or get the rent deposit together um that once you get in there it's like okay well I'm going to be on the beanbags or the camping chairs for a while so we top the fund back up um but the biggest one for me would be trying to upcycle and thrift things from places like Facebook Marketplace and and Gumtree Mm -hmm. I also think in a, a time where we're trying to be more sustainable that's like another really good added benefit of that so I would always say if you're looking for, you know, bedside tables or a dining room table, anything like that, have a look on Gumtree and Facebook Marketplace. Sometimes people are just want rid of things and it'll only be 10 or 20 pounds for, for them to drop off or for you to collect it. And you can often, for not very much money, then sand it down and, and paint it or wax it and it'll look like a brand new piece of furniture in your house. You'll be able to give it a second lease of life. Mm-hmm. And the other thing would be things like panelling, just painting a feature wall, start small you know I started with a painted wall that I, that I stenciled that was the first thing that I did and with each project that I did I then got 
wee bit more confidence and I tried each time to add you know something else to my toolkit that I maybe would have not had or would use for future projects mm -hmm. but I think um, starting on those smaller projects and trying to buy things secondhand and, and reuse as much as you can is a really good way to, to help keep the cost down. Yeah and when you're when you're trying things obviously yourself when you're doing things for the first time where do you go for that kind of tutorial or, or to try and learn how to do something? What's your kind of go-tos for, for these things? So often I used to always start on YouTube because I find that YouTube's the easiest place to search for exactly what you're looking for. I think recently Instagram's got a lot better at that. So you can put in like wall panelling or I remember when I was building a pergola in the garden and I, I went onto YouTube and I just watched a few different videos read some blogs and tried to kind of piece it all together to figure mm -hmm. out what to do but you'll also find that a lot of these accounts and people that share these tutorials they're more than happy to help you know people are i often get messages of what's the right paint to buy for this or i'm not sure what to ask for it at the timber merchant and i every day try to respond to, to all of those kind of messages because it was people like that that helped me when, when yeah. i was starting out so it's nice to, to give it back to other people yeah definitely and it's it is such a tough financial climate for people just now as well. As you, you say, most people are putting everything into getting the actual property or rental and then there's no backup plan for, for what, what do we do when we get in there? You've got four rooms to fill yeah. or decorate. It's such a difficult time. And I think to try and do it in stages as well is really good. You know, I remember when I moved into my first house and the garden, it was fine. It was just plain slabs and some grass. And I knew over time I wanted to do some different things to it, but I split it into like three different phases. So that mm -hmm. I got somebody to build my decking because I was, wasn't confident enough at the time to, to do it myself. So that was like phase one, get the decking done. And then the next summer I was able to, you know, add in a planter and do another section of it. Mm -hmm. So splitting it out into phases and realizing that you don't need to do it all in one go as well, because it's hard as well. I think we're really bad in society for comparing to each other and it's like everybody's on their own little journey when you get a house to just get it all together um, yeah and I think when I was I was having a look through your accounts and I think that's what people really buy into because when you put something up and I've seen it on other pages and they'll maybe put something up and they won't see anything about the price so people will think it's out of reach or it's really expensive and it's it's inaccessible but I think the fact when you do things and you put on, well, it's not going to cost you the earth to, to do this. Yeah. I think people then relate to that because it becomes an achievable goal rather than looking at something and thinking, I'm never going to be able to afford that. Absolutely. And I think a really good example that's like recently I've started to put up um, kind of Christmas inspiration for people. And last year, my Christmas door was like the thing that everybody wanted to know how to do. And I know from my own experience that if you ask one of these professional companies to do it, it can be like thousands of pounds, yeah. which just is is not doable. And when I did my Christmas arch, it was around about the time that we'd had all those really bad storms in Scotland mm -hmm. last year. So actually I was able to just like forage for all of the foliage because yeah. there's all these trees that had been like blown <laughs> over and all the rest of it. And I, you know, people think I'm crazy, but it, it, like so many people then commented on that on, on TikTok saying, you know, oh yeah, and it cost me £3,000 as like a bit of a joke. And I went back saying, no, you know, it all cost me less than £150 and the stuff that cost me is things I can reuse this year. So yeah. like that, you make the investment once and then you can, can keep using it. And I think that's the other thing at the moment for people is like if you buy a wee bit better on some of the really important things like you know your bed or your sofa mm -hmm. then it lasts you a lot longer so you're not going to have to and you know three to four years start changing it all again yeah yeah i totally agree um 
obviously we spoke about some high points when you you obviously get to work with brands and you, and you were doing grand designs. I know you were on Scotland's Home of the Year as well. I always ask people if there's been any kind of points that not maybe not low or bad as such, but any points that have kind of made you doubt what you were doing and how you kind of got over that. Yeah, so I would say actually like maybe I wouldn't say I'm in the middle of a low point, but like at the moment we are trying to um, get our mortgage approved and buy a new house and I've also moved down south so it's like we are in this whole new process and new housing world uh, down south which is a completely different system to Scotland Mm -hmm. and whilst we have been in that middle of that process we've been living in a rental which we're not really able to do very much to and I would say that DIY for me is the thing that when I've had like a bad day or you know I can do that project and I know I'm good at it and it kind of perks me up and I've not Mm -hmm. been able to do that as much since I've lived here and as a result I also don't have that much to share on Instagram and in the meantime all of these other people who I follow and really admire are you know growing and doing really great things on their account and it's that comparison thing again you know they often say comparison is the thief of joy and it really is it's about trying to remember that you don't need to compare you know we're all different and very soon we will be in that house and we will have whole loads of projects to get after but it's just remembering that you know everybody kind of goes through these phases and I think as I mentioned earlier, with you know, social media algorithm is a terrible one for getting you down because you can spend hours on something that you think looks great and then it just flops and nobody yeah. sees it and it's really frustrating. But I think being able to speak to other people who are on a similar boat and find mm-hmm. out that you're not the only one who feels like that really helps. So I think if anybody is feeling like that, you know, realize that you're not alone and the, we all kind of go through these waves. It's really cyclical, this kind of Instagram social media world. And I think speaking to other people who understand really helps that. Yeah, I think the the comparison thing you just said there is so true. Like it's such a I think when you're in those moments you can fall into that that cycle of going on and looking at other accounts and be like, mm, I don't know if I should still be doing this or they're doing that yeah. better than me. When when you rationalise it, it's crazy because you can't base it on what one person is doing in the whole world. But you do so uh, yeah, you do. And I think, um, you know, there's also like you lose, you know, I lose a lot of followers every week. Also, you know, I gain new followers, but I do also lose followers because they're either like random bot accounts that Instagram yeah. gets rid of or, you know, maybe they're just maybe they're not looking for a house anymore and they're not interested in following DIY and stuff anymore. So you also do lose a lot of followers and you get in, I get inside my own head of like, well, why have they unfollowed me? What have I posted that they don't like? You know, what, what have I done to annoy them kind of thing? It's so stupid. It's like, you know, it just doesn't matter. And like you say, when you rationalise it, it's like you just think you've lost it a little bit. But I think it's just everybody's got their own style. And like you say, everybody buys into you for a different reason. And so I think really celebrating the highs helps you remember that, you know, in those kind of tougher days, it's like, well, it'll pick back up again. You know, yeah. every, you know, people are still here to to listen to what you're saying and listen to what you're doing. So. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I'm assuming that there may have been some DIY disasters along the way, um, because I think everybody who does things in their house, there's always something that doesn't really go to plan. What are the kind of ones for you that are rent-free in your head, shall we say? Yeah, so the biggest DIY disaster, I would say, was definitely when I decided to try and take on some plumbing, and that has taught me basically just just pay the plumber that was not worth the stress I 
you know, there's a good sense of satisfaction at the end of those things. But water is one thing that if it goes wrong in your house, it's like water and electric, it goes wrong really quickly. Yeah. Um. So that's definitely one for the for the books. And I think there's loads along the way of like daft things that you do that you think, oh, why didn't I think about that before I did this? Or I remember I built a coffee table and I built the whole coffee table in the garage and then didn't really think about the fact of how was I going to get it in the house because it was so big to go through the door. Right. And then my friend came over to help me lift up the stairs. And as we started lifting it, the whole leg started twisting. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've just spent like a week building this coffee table. And now it's like disintegrating before our eyes before we even get it into the living room. But they're all a, they're all a learning curve. And it's funny, just this morning I was speaking about um, the bloopers that you have when you're filming stuff for brands as well. And there was one particular campaign I did that I had this whole idea that I was going to like arrive out of the box once the box landed on the bed. Mm-hmm. And my other half was helping me film this. And all you can hear in the video is me like banging on the top of the box, stuck inside this box in this video. And it's like, that sometimes is what I wish you just were able to share as the advert because it would be, you know, it's so funny sometimes what goes on behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been some learning curves along the way. <laughs> it's funny you say that about the plumbing because someone had asked if you are trying to not cut costs but try and save a bit of money is there things that you would recommend trying yourself and is there things you would recommend leaving to to a professional to do yeah so i always say always do the rip out yourself within reason obviously be sensible about doing the rip out like checking if there's wires or pipes behind the wall before you Mm -hmm. start going at it with a hammer or anything but often you find that if you do the rip out yourself, you're, you know, you maybe save on a day's labour or two days labour. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely always recommend doing the rip out yourself, particularly in the garden. I mean, it's a gruesome job, but if you've like mm-hmm. loads of bushes and all that that need taken out before you're going to put in maybe slabs or planters or something like that, if you can do a lot of that groundwork, you would save on the, the initial labour. Mm-hmm. And then you can maybe put the money towards making sure the very end result is done by, by a professional. That was what I did with my garden. Did as much of the groundwork and rip out myself as I could and then I paid somebody to do a bit more of the kind of drainage and all that sort of stuff yeah. that I knew needed to be right but I, did, I didn't know how to do it so it's definitely in the rip out I would say mm-hmm. and then the, I take it plum and then leave to a plumber yes I, I would say I think if I did that project again I would still do the rip out because the rip out wasn't too bad it was like putting it all back together that just got difficult and I basically was living on my own and the stopcock was in the kitchen and I was on the top floor of the house and it just was, yeah, not not ideal. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And is there any, from your experience, obviously, and from the, the videos you do, is there any mistakes that people can kind of fall into when they're trying to do some DIY or things that can be avoided quite easily if they're trying to do things themselves? Yeah, and I think I, I actually also am really guilty of this and I'm trying to get better, but I'm terrible for like just after work, I'll be in my slippers and I think, oh, I'll just do this quickly. And then I put it up and film it. And then I think, gosh, that was really unsafe. I actually like should have had glasses on or I should have had like mask on. And I find that when I share it on the internet, you know, people quite rightly tell me like you should have glasses on, you should have safety wear on. And I know that they're right, but Sometimes in like the heat of the moment, I'm like, oh, it'll only take me 10 minutes to do this, you know, an hour later, I'm still there. So definitely. And I think the other thing is, like I said, making sure 
the simple things like check for pipes, check for electrical cables before you start going going into the wall. Um, when I was saying about, you know, when I was younger and there would be Easter holidays, maybe where plumbing would go wrong. But I always remember my dad went away for the first time, having like left me in the house and I was like 16 or something. And mm-hmm. over the period of a few days after he'd gone, this like pocket of water appeared in the, the kitchen uh, ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then I like poked at it and the whole thing came. So I phoned my uncle and was like, you need to come around. Like whatever dad's been doing in the bathrooms caused some sort of issue. And basically what would happen was my dad had gone straight through a water pipe with a screw and he was like screwing in the pedestal because they weren't the correct, the pipes weren't the correct distance from the floor or from the previous people who'd, who'd put it in. Right. That's very easily done if you don't check properly where the, the pipes and things are. So that's the biggest thing I would say. Don't cut the corners on the, the prep work because if you can do the prep work, it makes the actual project a lot easier. Yeah, as you say, if it's water, it tends to get everywhere rapidly. Yeah, very quickly. And I think also, um, you know, rope in people to help you with those projects that are maybe just a bit beyond your own reach. I think when I was build- building my pergola in my garden, the wood was so heavy and it actually really frustrated me that I had to rely on other people because I am the person who's like still up at like midnight trying to finish that wall that they're painting because <laughs> they just want them before they go to bed. And when we were building that, I had to rely on everybody only being there, you know, until like nine o'clock or whatever. And it's like, okay, we need to stop now and we need to, go, you know, start again tomorrow. But if there are those projects that have an extra people, you know, draft in the friends to help you. Don't try and do it on your own because often mm-hmm. it takes you twice as long and you get even more frustrated. And do you find it hard to, when you've got things on the go, be it interiors or, or, or anything else, do you find it hard to switch off from it? Are you always kind of thinking? Massively, yeah. And uh, I'm terrible for like waking up first thing in the morning and being like, oh, what about this? Or, you know, worrying about it when I go to bed at night. And when you put it in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's really not important. But it's just, it is really hard to switch off sometimes. And I think uh, when you've got loads on, it's quite hard to concentrate on one thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite bad at like jumping from one project to another. But my biggest piece of advice is like finish one project and then move on especially when it's in a house because otherwise you end up with loads of half finished rooms and you don't have that like one place that you can go to yeah. that you can just shut the door and everything else and feel you know at home there and comfortable mm-hmm. in there um and we've kind of been planning what we're going to do when we eventually get into this new house and it's like the number one thing is just get the bedroom sorted so when we go to bed there's you know there's not half painted walls and all the rest yeah. of it as as quickly as possible so definitely kind of trying to yeah, finish one project before you move on. I'm not to take my own advice, but that would be my advice <laughs> to other people. <laughs> what has been the biggest project you've done, like so far, that's kind of stuck out for you? Uh, the pergola would be a really big one, but one of the most rewarding projects is um, my the last project I did before I left Aberdeen was to decorate a nursery for two really good friends of mine who've just mm-hmm. welcomed their first daughter into the world. And uh, to be able to do things like that for other people mm. now is really special. And like, uh, you know when I got to meet her for the first time and I know that she's in that room and it's really nice to be able to, to do that for other people and I think the other one that was super tricky would be the paneling on my stairs and it only is so hard because there's so many angles and it's yeah. like being back at school with like trigonometry and trying to work out what the angles are and I was like oh my gosh this is like so much harder than what I thought it was going to be but <laughs> those are probably the biggest ones for sure. And with ones like that do you do you just keep doing until you've got it like do you just keep persevering until you get through it all rather than ask somebody or you just kind of like headstrong with it yeah I hate I hate being beaten so <laughs> I really hate being beaten and 
with that project, it's funny because quite a few of my friends since have done their stairs and I'm always usually the first to volunteer to help them. But the stairs panel is the one project I never volunteer to help with because I just know how difficult it is. And I'm like, I've done it once in my own house. I'm just not going to do it in anybody else's house for them. But I do hate being beaten. So I'm also the person that like, if it goes wrong and it's like quarter to nine and B&Q shuts at nine, I'll be like racing to get to B&Q to get the thing so I can get it fixed before I go to bed. So, yeah. <laughs> and how does the, I take it, with, with the new house, you're obviously, you, you have a lot of plans for it. You you both will. How does the creative process work between the two of you? Is it, are you leading the way or does it, is it just like, I don't want involvedness or how does it work? Yeah, I think uh, when we first got our offer accepted, I think I was doing his head in because we'd get into bed and I'd be like, what do you think of this sofa? <laughs> I just want to go to sleep. I'm like, so what do you think of this wallpaper? Like we could paint the wall this colour. And he's just like, Alex, I know that you'll make it look nice. We'll just, we're not even into the house yet. I'm like, I know, but I've made these mood boards and I think this is what it's going to look like. And yeah, he's he's very good to be fair. Also my side, side filming person when I've got stuff that I can't film on my own. So I'm quite lucky. I think I'm hopefully going to get quite a lot of free rain and Chris will just go along with it, so it'll be fine. <laughs> Brilliant. So what is the what does the future look like for you, both from a work point of view and from from your social aspect as well? Yeah, so I think, um, as I say, so the move down south was was for me to do this, this new job in renewable energy, um, still kind of finding my feet in that job and really thoroughly enjoying it. So the plan is definitely to, to keep building on that and do that for for the foreseeable future I think on the social side of things I've got loads of plans of things I would like to do but it's just finding the right priority to do them in and, and the right order I think going to things like Grand Designs taught me that there's a real appetite for people to learn for things so you know I would love to in the future be able to put on workshops or something along those lines where people like bring their project and you help them with their project that sort of thing um, but just yet yeah, excited to see where it goes to be honest want to keep growing it and trying to teach and inspire as many people as I can with it and yeah who knows what the future holds we'll see amazing and last thing I want to ask obviously I get a lot of kind of kids at school leaving age that are maybe looking at different things for for jobs or careers but from the point of view of your experiences what kind of advice would you give to kind of young females that are looking to maybe join an industry that's male orientated or they're wanting to give it a try based on, on what you've kind of been through yourself yeah I think the best piece of advice is to just take every opportunity I was really fortunate to get when I was at university a lot of industry experience really early on which taught me what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do you know I did like a job in aviation and I realized I didn't want to work in aviation but I actually really enjoyed the, the operations side of it and that ended up being very closely aligned to what I, I did as a first job out of university mm -hmm. and I think also not we need to all, as a society, understand that university isn't the only route to a lot of these projects now. And actually, a lot of people who I work with, if they had their time again, would do like an apprenticeship route in because you get much better hands-on experience earlier on in the process. So I'd encourage people to look at all of the different avenues that, that are available mm -hmm. and to try and speak to family, friends or other people that you know who maybe work in that industry and, and reach out to people. There's some really brilliant resources out there to, to try and help those in the younger generation decide what they want to do and I think just remembering that just because you choose it at 16 doesn't mean that if at 30 you don't like it that you're stuck doing it you know it's never too too late to, to start and change to something else so 
don't be put off by the fact that maybe when you go to the open day there maybe isn't that many girls there or when you go to an event just you can be the, the difference and I think you know you you can't be what you can't see is what I was always told when when we were doing it and across the 10 years since I first went to university there's been a huge shift in how many girls now go into engineering which is fantastic but we just need to see more of it and and more role models to, to help help build that top advice thank you so much for today it's been i'm definitely going to try more diy i promise you i will <laughs> yeah you need to send me pictures <laughs> i just have no i have no patience i'll try something and i'll be like that looks so shit and then i just i just switch off from it and i forget it ever happened so it's bad. So funny because we've got really good friends who are doing up their flat at the moment, and actually, um, they're putting up some shelves at the weekend with the help of another friend. And I'd said to them, "Or oh, here you're doing some DIY this weekend. You need to send me some pictures." And uh, he came back to me saying, "Oh, well, you know, my friend that was helping us is really good, but it makes me realise how advanced you are because actually it's really difficult." And I was like, "I'm not. It's just practice and patience." But yeah. The patience bit is really hard sometimes, especially when it goes wrong. Yeah, 100%, because then it leads to just arguments in the house, and you're like, no, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm so done with this. I take it in the new house, there will be no panelling, or are you going to brave that in the new house? No, I'll brave it again, I think, in the new house. It comes with the difficulties of it own. The new stairs are on a bit of a curve, so, right. I mean, that's even, yeah, who knows what that's going to look like, but... Yeah, there'll be lots of new projects to come. We're hoping they'll be in before Christmas. So it'll be a nice way to start the new year with uh, yeah, plenty of new projects for people to follow. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much again for today. No, no problem. Thanks very much. Take it easy.